Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking to Tawny Laura and Lisa Smith about why recovery rocks. Tawny and Lisa are sobriety advocates who co-host the podcast Recovery Rocks. Tawny is a New York City-based millennial who writes about the intersection of sex and sobriety Her work is featured in publications including Playboy, Men's Health, Huffington Post, and two essay collections, The Addiction Diaries, and the forthcoming reimagining of Sex and the Single Woman. She's also the story developer for the Webby Award-winning podcast, Fucking Sober. Lisa is the author of Girl Walks Out of a Bar, a memoir of her descent into and recovery from high-functioning addiction in the world of New York City corporate law. She regularly speaks to law firms, law schools, and other organizations. Her writing has been published in the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, Women's Health, and other publications. And Tani and Lisa, welcome. I'm super excited to have you on. 
Thank Hello. you. We're thrilled. Yeah, it's exciting because I've been listening to Recovery Rocks for a long time. I love hearing your different approaches and just your friendships. And also, I told Lisa before we jumped on that the book Girl Walks Out of a Bar came out in 2016, I think, and I quit drinking in 2016. So I read it pretty early in sobriety. I love that so much because (laughs) that is basically, I mean, I wrote the book because I felt so alone in my whole spiral and I wanted the next person to know that they are not alone. So the idea that you would have read it in early recovery just makes, you know, it really means, it means lots of me. It's why, why I wrote the book. Yeah, it's so awesome. And I, I told you before that I remember distinctly reading it because my daughter was two. And when I quit drinking, I would like take her to bed. And instead of trying really hard to get her to sleep really quickly so I could go back downstairs and have another glass of wine, I would just stay up there like that was my safe place in the dark rocking her. And so I would read lots of sobriety memoirs on my phone or listen to them on Audible. And so I remember reading yours in the early days. And I also read um, This Naked Mind and I read uh, Between Breaths by Elizabeth Vargas. I love that. I remember reading. I love Elizabeth Vargas's book. I love The Snake of Mind is amazing. I love that. But also Elizabeth Vargas's book, which a lot of people haven't read, really hits that anxiety element of the whole, I mean, she's panic attacks and all that, like to the extreme. But I, when I, after I read that, I was thinking, wow, we really don't talk enough about anxiety and, you know, alcohol, even though we do sort of, you know, that was one book that really dug into anxiety deep. Yeah. And Tawny, your your sobriety date is just a bit before mine. So we just hit six years. Yes, we are. We're like almost fraternal twins. I know, right? <laughs> I always talk about like sober litter mates, the people who quit, right? Yes. <laughs> I love that. So cool. Yeah. We're just a couple months apart. I was November 30th of 2015 and you're what? Mid-February? February 2016. Well, so tell us a little bit about your podcast and Recovery Rocks and sort of your approach, like what you bring to the show. Lisa, I think you should answer because it was Lisa's idea to start the podcast. Well, actually, it was not my idea to start the podcast. True. It was, right? It was in 2018 and the book had come out in 2016 and I was doing some speaking, but I was getting ready to leave my law firm job in 2019, like summer of 2019. And so I started working with someone to help me kind of brand or kind of develop some content and things for when I, you know, subsequently launched my advisory, which I have now to speak with, you know, I speak to a lot of legal employers, like you said, law firms, legal organizations, and I consult on some of these issues with them. And so he said to me in 2018, I'd say summer, you need to have a podcast. And I was like, uh, I, no, nobody wants to listen to me have a podcast. And he said, yeah, you know, you read 20 minutes of your book, you know, you read a snippet from your book and then you rip on it for 20 minutes. I was like, nobody's going to listen to that. And, and so we sort of fought over, <laughs> not fought, but like we left that conversation there. And then when I thought about it later, I said, 
you know what? I listen to a lot of podcasts and my favorite podcasts are when people have a conversation, not just one person talking. And I said, I have this friend who is perfect for this podcast. I'm Gen X. I'm 20 years older than Bonnie. I have been in 12 step since day one. I just celebrated 18 years sober. Yes, That's crazy. And amazing. Tawny got sober in a completely different way. And I always worked and was still working at that point, like in a very corporate environment, very professional, like, you know, that kind of corporate job with all that comes with it, both good and bad. And Tawny was writing and, you know, she was doing, she's a writer uh, freelance and um, with some very big things, you know, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting because we could, but we already knew and loved each other. We were very so close we, already. You know, we, yes. we met on Instagram and then met, finally met IRL because we were both sober in New York, you know, so we had a good base and like what we had in common was recovery. Music. Yeah. Recovery and rock and roll. So that's, <laughs> that's where the name came from. So yes, what was the yes. rock and roll connection? Do you guys play music or you just love it? Um, well, for, for me, I come from a rock and roll house, I guess you can say. My dad was and is a heavy metal musician. So I, I grew up just in that scene, which ironically is, you know, we can talk later about how that contributed to my uh, alcohol consumption, watching these long haired tattooed men chug Jack Daniels from the bottle. But even in sobriety, like, you know, like rock and roll is like such a huge part of my life. And my mom was one of his, one of my dad's groupies and that's how they met. So I grew up either, you know, at band practice or going to the recording studio and um, mom was not, mom's not a musician, but she's a like a muse. I would say like a rock and roll aficionado, like she, a savant, like she knows every rock and roll trivia question that no, like no one needs to know it, but she knows every answer. Uh, and so she raised me that way as well. So rock and roll has been a huge part of my whole life. And that, I don't know how Lisa and I realized we had that in common. I don't know. I think we did pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but like before we did, obviously we talked about music a ton before we even did the podcast. And probably just in sort of connecting, yeah. you know, out of just after we met, uh, just in conversations. But yeah, so that's and music has been for me like a massive part of my recovery. And it's funny because the music that Tawny was exposed to as a result of her father, like I was I was listening to that music because I was that age, you know, <laughs> like it was my music too. So we both sort of have the same. You know, and we do, but even on like new stuff, we, we tend to um, like the same stuff in the same style. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice 
what you've wanted to change, but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Okay, I am so glad I asked that question because I had absolutely no idea. So Tani, what bands were your dad in? Like, do I get to ask that or? Yeah, yeah. The I would say the biggest band he was in was, uh, it was called Vicious Rumors. And the band is still around, but there's like no original members anymore. But they were, you know, like, late 80s early 90s mtv heyday and you know they had a couple videos on mtv he toured the world and you know that resulted in him not being a big part of my life which is you know something i'm still working through my dad is now in recovery as well so you know we've we've been through a lot we had her dad on the podcast yes that's right he was on an, an episode we did a lisa and i did a live recording um, a couple of years ago when my dad was visiting me here in New York and uh, it was really special. Yeah, because we had already had scheduled Ruby Warrington was coming yeah. was part of our live event with us. And then it was like, oh my gosh, your dad's going to be here. Let's put him on stage. That is very cool. All right. You're going to have to send me the link so I can <laughs> it in the show notes. I know that you talked about Lisa, that you recovered in a 12-step program. I loved how open and, you know, transparent you were in your book. Like it was, it was interesting and fascinating and a great read. And you're right. It made me feel a lot less alone. And Tawny, how did you get sober, decide that drinking wasn't working for you or drugs? Like how did you sort of step into that recovery space? Yeah. This is exactly, you know, why Lisa and I started the podcast because we came at sobriety from from such different perspectives. And even still, you know, like we still have different approaches in certain ways. But if you listen to our show, you see that we are we still see most things the same way. And it's it's really important for us to show listeners that there's not just one way. And for decades, AA was the only option. And thankfully, it's not like that anymore. There's many other options. You know, I got sober end of 2015. So this is before, you know, sober curious wasn't really a term yet. I'd been to one AA meeting. and It didn't really feel right for me. And there was just, I was like, okay, but like, what, what else? I was like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I I don't want to drink anymore. I didn't really know what to do. So as a, like a typical millennial, I started a blog <laughs> about it. I, I was about to turn 30 years old and I decided to give up alcohol for a year, my 30th year. And I started a blog called sobriety party. And I really just blogged that, that whole way through. Um, I still have the blog. It's not as active now because it's my writing is, is 
has changed to more freelancing and now working on a book. Um, but it began really just as, hey, this is what I'm going through. And it was for me, you know, it was more, it was definitely for me, but I was posting about it on Instagram, which is how I met Lisa, um, sharing, you know, blog posts on Facebook and people connecting with me and uh, saying kind of like what you were saying earlier, Casey, is like your story is my story. And, and yeah, so like that was a big part of it. Um, and I, I found a, my therapist nine months into sobriety. That was a, you know, when I tell people my story, they're like, wow, I can't believe you did it alone. I'm like, I did not do it alone. I just didn't do it through AA. But I, I realized that finding the right therapist, finding the right support group eventually, but the peer support that I found through sober social media was a lot of what I hear about people love about AA and other traditional support groups. So I connected with people literally all over the world that were sober or, you know, eventually sober curious as that term became more ubiquitous, but I was just sharing from an authentic place. And I have tons of, you know, internet friends (laughs) that I've, I might never meet in real life, you know, and I just think that's kind of cool that sobriety is what brought us together. I know some people are are hesitant or nervous to put themselves out in social media, and I completely and totally get that. And I think one of the cool things about it is like, you don't have to use your real name or, you know, I mean, ways to like dip your toe in without, you know, as you get more comfortable. But I mean, I hear from women all the time, like I live in a small town or I don't sober people around me. And I'm like, go online. There is a universe of cool people out there. And I agree. I've made so many, you know, internet friends. I'm actually going in a week to She Recovers Miami. Oh yeah. We're we're both going to be there. I know we get to meet there. I mean, I think there are 500 women coming. A lot of my internet friends and people I've had on the podcast, I finally get to meet in real life. It's going to be fun. I can't believe like, I, you know, because when I got sober 18 years ago, it was A or nothing. There was no, you know, it was either you got to go into it. When I left detox, you got to like go into AA or you're basically going to drink again and die. And, you know, that is something that I think the whole what is so amazing and, and why it's like so I love so much the way that Tawny and I, I've never been one of those people who said it's only 12 step. I just don't, I just, you know, I really do think everybody can have it, has their own path and is, you know, on whatever, whatever works best for them is great. But there's not just like, you know, either you say you're an alcoholic or you're out anymore. It's very much like, hey, I might be curious. So I'm going to go to this event or I'm going to try a try January or you know, or I'm going to be California sober, whatever it is, there's this continuum now that people can enter, you know, without having, you know, like I did hit like a heinous rock bottom. And they can just say, see where this is going. I don't like it. The whole concept of gray area drinking, you know, when I met Tawny and I was just seeing what was going on with that stuff, I was like, this is so cool because it's going to be accessible to so many people and without having to tell your story and go out there. Right. I always tell people like your story is your own. You don't owe it to anybody else. You don't have to be shouting about it on the internet. You don't have to be shouting about it in the office or to your family. 
to your story, you know, um, but to be able to have those sources for people out there to just, like you said, like plug in and see what it's like, plug in and see what people are talking about. You have so many more resources. Yeah. I mean, I love how you both sort of work on smashing the stigma and normalizing sobriety. And I feel like that is something that has really changed in the last six years. I mean, I first tried to quit drinking nine years ago. And it's amazing to me, the shift just in those three years, I feel like nine years ago, it was also kind of AA, 80% of it was AA, or you kind of did it alone. And when I stopped drinking six years ago with you, Tawny, around the same time, it was right when it was beginning. And since then, it's just exploded. And I love how you don't have to adopt a label. And you're like, my God, there are tons of people out there who are talking about, you know, the fact that drinking's addictive or it didn't work for them or they love to drink, but they're happier without it. Like, it's not quite that big. Oh, my God, if I say drinking isn't working for me, I must have had a quote unquote serious problem and I should feel some shame about it. Yeah. And you said, you said Lisa's favorite phrase is smashing the stigma. That's her, that's her hashtag. She always, yeah, that's really, I mean, that's why we do what we do. And, you know, even though I don't come from the AA world, I do ascribe to a lot of AA and 12 step, you know, slogans and mantras, like being of service. I think our podcast, your podcast, that is how you know, one of the many ways we are of service and that helps us, that helps Lisa and I stay sober. The fact that we can create a free resource for people wherever they are on their sobriety journey, whether they're doing a dry month or they're 20 months or like 20 years sober, like you're welcome to hang out at recovery rocks. (laughs) Even if you're still drinking, doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Even if you're just like, I want to listen. We have some listeners that are just like our friends that just like to listen to the, you know, podcast. Cause it's like, Oh, what are Tawny and Lisa doing? <laughs> the stigma is what kills people. The stigma is what keeps people out of asking for help. And so like, I like to think that if there was somebody who was really, you know, thinking about like not getting help. And we know from the numbers that this happens hugely in the legal profession, you know, that they can see how it's changing. And it's a slow process, but it's changing. Like, I love the, the phrase you used is exactly what I would say, like normalizing sobriety. Why, why is that? Why is sobriety something to be not normalized in any sense? Not You don't have to be an alcoholic to say, I, I don't drink, I'm sober. Yeah. And I know, Tawny, you do a lot with like non-alcoholic beverages. And one of my favorites is athletic brewing company. And I actually became an ambassador for them just because I loved them. And I talk about them all the time, but the big benefit to being an ambassador was like, I'm in the, you know, Facebook group of all the other ambassadors and they're like beyond cool. Like I am totally out of my element. They're like Ironman and ultra marathon racers and like mountain climbers. And I'm like, holy shit, I have a podcast (laughs) and I'm a mom of two and run around to baseball practice seven days a week. But I'm like living vicariously through them. But the cool thing is I would say like 
some people in there are definitely like, I hit three years sober. I hit a year sober. You know, this is awesome. And then a whole bunch of other people are just like, yeah, I, you know, have, I'm not quote unquote sober, but like 90% of the time I drank athletic brewing company because drinking beer is horrible for your recovery and really hurts, you know, yeah. your heart and all the things. I'm glad that you brought up the the non-alcoholic drink scene because I am obsessed. It's uh, if you go to my website, you'll see that I have like tons of non-alcoholic drink brands that I work with and promote authentically because I, you know, I came from a bartending world. So like I, I like, I've always liked mixology and I've always liked beer Beer was the one thing I could drink, quote, normally, because I I was very interested in craft beer and just interested in all these different types of hops. And I just thought it was really cool. And this emerging non-alcoholic drink scene still, it it allows me to play with that still. You know, there's really good non-alcoholic beers out there. And there's really good non-alcoholic wines and champagnes. And like Katy Perry just came out with a non-alcoholic aperitif. I mean, it's yes. like, and she's not and sober. Blake Lively too. Does. Blake Lively has a seltzer, you know, Katy Perry's not sober, but when she was pregnant, she realized that she couldn't drink what she wanted to when she was pregnant. So that's why she started this drink line. And, and I think people like that getting into the non-alcoholic drink space also makes it more accessible because it's like a cool hot pop star but also the fact that it's not just for sober people it's like something to drink it doesn't matter anyone can drink this you know oh my gosh can we talk about perimenopause menopause and postmenopause for a minute i am 48 so if you're going through it i'm right there with you i mean hot flashes and night sweats racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at Happy Mammoth dot com with promo code hello that's happy m a m m o t h dot com and use promo code hello for 15% off your first order yeah and i noticed i went overseas like i went to amsterdam and i was i was kind of in shock a they have amazing non-alcoholic beers in every restaurant which i was like damn this is cool But I went over to my cousin's house, who is Dutch, she's Dutch, with her husband, and we were just hanging out with them watching the World Cup. And I looked in their fridge, I was like, oh, actually, I don't drink. And she was like, yeah, we have non-alcoholic beer. And neither one of them is sober. And I was like, you do? And she was like, yes, sometimes we just like the taste, but we don't want, you know, to get all fuzzy. And I was like, that's crazy. Europe's come a long way. 
there's there's really good drinks. And you know what's so funny is like Budweiser and Seagram's are coming out with their own version. Like Budweiser Zero sponsored the Super Bowl of 2021 and Seagram's just came out with their own non-alcoholic spirit line. And it's because the non-alcoholic drink scene is thriving. And I, I think that is so fascinating. And like New York alone, we have like five booze-free bottle shops. And like, I would have never in a million years in my, when I was, you know, hot mess bartender party girl, I would have never thought that there would be enough non-alcoholic drinks to fill a store. Yeah. <laughs> like I was just like, to me, a non-alcoholic drink was O'Doul's or like a virgin daiquiri. I was you about know, that, to say O'Doul's. Like it. that was like the worst <laughs> when I was yeah. when I was quitting drinking. And so one thing I wanted to ask you about is Lisa, you mentioned quote unquote California sober. And I know what that oh, is. Yeah. Like a lot of people who are listening probably don't know what that is. So can you tell us? about California sober? Sure. Uh, Tawny, jump in if I'm getting this wrong, which I (laughs) likely will. But my understanding about California sober is that it is someone who does not drink alcohol, uh, but does use marijuana. Okay. I think it's that and also like psychedelics Mm. is, is included in that. And it's, I think it's, it's not just because there's a lot of people that smoke weed that are just not big drinkers. Like that's not California sober, you know, like California sober is someone who's like, I'm like stepping back, reevaluating their relationship with alcohol. They're, they're still consuming cannabis. They might do psychedelics, but like, that's not the big issue for them. They're focusing on drinking less alcohol. So I think that it's important to stress that. And there's also a percentage of California sober people that use cannabis as a form of harm reduction. They're like, I should probably get a Xanax prescription, but I don't want Xanax. So I'm going to use cannabis. I'm going to microdose cannabis, you know, like, yeah, it's very nuanced. I think it's great that there's some people are like, say, we'll say California sober is not sober. And I think those are people that don't believe in harm reduction and uh, the benefits of like medicinal cannabis. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because I remember, and again, this was nine years ago when I went to Alcoholics Anonymous just for four months, there was a little bit, and I think it's different in every single group, the idea that like, if you're taking, even we talked about anti-anxiety meds, anti-depression meds, like at one point I was having panic attacks and I took clonazepam, which is sort of can be addictive too. I only took it for a short period of time, but like, they're like, well, that's not really sober. And I'm like, but it kind of, you know, it is right. Like you can't, I'm like, just, I want listeners to know that like Lisa and I are rolling our eyes right now because I know you can't like your sponsor can't tell you what medication you should take. Right. That's great. And there is literally in the big book, the big book literally says we are not doctors. Right. So the way I learned it from my sponsor was if you are prescribed, if you are honest with your doctor and they know you're in recovery, yeah. And but you are prescribed. Like if you, ha- if I had surgery, am I not going to have a painkiller, like that kind of thing? But if you are, you're honest about being in recovery, they prescribe and you take that medication as prescribed for the period of time prescribed. That's how I learned 
you know, 12 step. And there were people in the rooms who would be like, no, if you're on antidepressants or, or even NyQuil, on, like some people won't even take ibuprofen or which is a personal choice, but it's like, don't, I think that, and let's talk about anxiety. I mean, I think a lot of us who drink a lot are self-medicating for other things and it's really exactly separate the two. And I found out like, once I stopped drinking, I felt a ton better. But then after four months, suddenly I had this like crushing anxiety, you know, whatever it was, depression period. And first I was like really fucking pissed that I wasn't fixed. I was like, I gave up <laughs> the thing I loved, you know, and this shit is still happening. But it was only then that I like went to my doctor and went to a therapist and figured out what was underneath all of that. So I could finally get help because it was so intertwined with like hangovers and, you know, not all the self-loathing that goes with blaming yourself. Well, Lisa and I are very open about the fact that we take medication and we've, we've done since day one. Yeah. We've done, I think two podcast episodes about, because Lisa was on medication since day one. And I got on Lexapro at around five years sober. So we did an episode about that and you know, we, we're not doctors, but we will definitely share our personal experience with, with medication. Cause it worked for us. Yeah, right. I totally and agree. If, if I, if I had some sort of heavy medication or things, I mean, I, I have to feel like we do have agency, right? So if uh, something happened, I was prescribed Vicodin for a recovery. I would only want the number of pills and I would have my husband hold it. Right. Like I, I probably wouldn't just because that's me, but, um, but then if I felt like after that, like, gee, I'm, I'm really missing that Vicodin, then I have to ask myself why and what was the intent? Do I miss the Vicodin because, you know, my surgery spot really still hurts and that's going to help? Or am I trying to get out of my head Vicodin? And then that's yes. the difference. That's the, the idea of intent, yep. and it goes with the relapse idea too. It's like, what are you doing, right? Like, are you, is this, was I looking to, if, if I had Vicodin and wanted more, why is that? You know, is yeah. it really for pain? And if it's not, then I got to like back up and do what I do to sort of, you know, strengthen my sober muscle. When I think like alcohol, there is absolutely no question that some of those prescription meds are highly addictive, right? And we've, we've talked about that. I mean, it's in the news all the time. So, I mean, I think there is, you know, something to be careful about. And then there's also the idea that like, like you said, I love that you talk about ment mental health and medication. I also, like I went on Lexapro when I was four months sober when I had that like huge panic thing. And then after a couple of years on Lexapro, I was sort of intermittently having those sort of low periods that sort of descended and then lifted without any um, trigger specifically. And so my doctor, you know, diagnosed me with a mild mood disorder. So I went on Lamotrigine and I have not in the last four years had one of those you know, really low periods, which I don't care what you call it. If you're telling me I don't have to feel this way. Right? Yes. Amazing. Amazing. I'm glad that you were, you were honest with your doctor and you asked for what you needed. And I mean, it's like Lisa, Lisa gives me, I feel like this needs to be my next tattoo, Lisa. She, she says, why suffer? 
yeah. a lot. Like if I'm, when I was struggling with like, do I want to get on medication? She's like, why suffer? Like, right. You're you know, not like, threatening your sobriety. Yeah. You're, you're strengthening it. You don't have yeah. to live like this. And I, it got, my anxiety got to the point of where it was, you know, impacting my relationship with my partner. It was impacting my daily sanity. My chest felt was so tight. It felt like I could not breathe. I actually, I went to the doctor because I thought I was having chest. I was having chest pains, but they did an EKG. They did blood work. They did all sorts of tests on me. And then finally my doctor was like, how are you? And I just started sobbing and, you know, keep in mind, I'm five years sober at this time. I'm in therapy. I have a fucking recovery podcast yeah. and I still didn't know what was going on with, with my body, you know? And as soon as I got on Lexapro, my, I could, I could breathe, <laughs> you know, like the, the elephant got off of my chest and I could breathe and I'm, I'm significantly happier. No, I went to my doctor at the same time when I was four months sober and I was like, just wanting to like jump out of my skin and run away and went in there in tears and was like, I quit drinking. I can't go back to drinking, but I cannot feel this way anymore. So you Mm. have me. And, you know, that was the best thing I could have done, but I knew enough to be like, all right, I've, you know, kind of, I burned my hand on the hot stove of alcohol enough times to know that like, that's not a solution, but I actually need a solution that'll help. Good for you. I mean, that really is huge that you asked for that, that you knew, you knew that you couldn't go back to drinking. You knew, and you asked for help. And that really is like, that's the hardest part is like, people think when you get sober, everything gets easier and it can, but it gets really messy and ugly first. And this is like, you're saying I quit drinking. Why am I still struggling? Why is this still hard? And it's like, because there's, there's more to it. And for you, you needed medication. Yeah. I heard from someone, the concept of like, you have two types of problems that you kind of need to solve for when you stop drinking. The first is like the aftermath problems, right? The hangovers, the foggy memories, getting super emotional, you know, the 3am wake ups, like the aftermath problems. If you get away from drinking, they go away pretty quickly, but then there are the underlying problems, which are problems that existed before you drink that when you drink, they become more tolerable. And in my mind, that's the harder thing to solve for. But once you stop drinking, you can finally do it, you know, and then feel better. Yeah. I'm, I feel like for me, at, at least at this point in my sobriety, not drinking alcohol is quote easy. Like I'm just, it's so off the table. The heart, the hard part is the day to day of like when shit hits the fan, when life happens on life's terms, dealing with that is hard. That's significantly harder. Yeah. That's why like the first step in AA is the only one that mentions alcohol. The rest of it is, you know, about how you deal with the rest of everything. Yeah. So Lisa, I was curious because I think it's really good and interesting that you're going into law firms and you're talking to the bar association because I talk to people pretty much in every industry you know, my clients and they're all like, well, law, I mean, that's a huge drinking culture. And then someone else is like, well, sales or startups, huge 
culture. And then someone would be like, elementary school teachers, that's a huge drinking culture. I mean, restaurant industry restaurant right? industry is terrible. Yeah. But it, you know, I have clients who are like doctors and surgeons and nurses and social workers, but like nobody talks about it in the workplace because they're terrified that if anyone knew they struggled with this, it would really hurt them, you know, within their career and their reputation. And at the same time, we know how many people struggle with alcohol, you know, in every space. So what's, tell me about the work you do going in there and what the reaction is. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I wanna invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Um, well, a lot of it is education. So right around the time my book came out, a big study came out on lawyers that showed, you know, basically 21% of practicing employed lawyers across the whole scope of, of disciplines um, had some sort landed somewhere on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And it asked those people, why do you not you know, why do you not um, seek help for this? And the answer that came back or the answers that came back like far and away were, um, one, I'm afraid my colleagues will find out and think less of me. And then two, confidential resources. Um, I don't believe my information is going to be kept confidential. And now we're back to one. So that's what I talk about when I say that stigma kills. And I, I, because it keeps people out of, out of getting help. And so a lot of what I talk about is sort of raising awareness around that. And, you know, it's funny, like we were all looking at each other, talking about how even teachers, even whoever, you know, it is about 
you know, the, the next thing that I will talk about is how can we make this situation a little, you know, better in the context of the legal profession, but I, which is very specific because like soaked in alcohol at every step, but I'm sure like a lot of other banking, advertising, all these sales, like all tech, they're all soaked in it. So what do you do? It's like, you're not going to remove alcohol completely, but you have to start looking at these things with some intentionality of like, wait a minute, I'm planning an event. Maybe, you know, not it's a, it's on a Tuesday night. Maybe not everyone in the room is going to want to drink on a Tuesday night, you know, and we rolled those kinds of things out at the firm I was in because they were subjected to me. But then they started hearing back from clients like, thank you for not for giving that great option at the door of a virgin mojito. So I didn't feel like I had to pick up a margarita. I was I'd rather not drink tonight. So you know, there's a lot of those things. Just what we have to do, it goes back to, and I think in any industry, is normalize sobriety. Just recognizing, like, a lot of people don't drink, period. You know, religion, physical health, they're sober. And in fact, these medications that we were just talking about that, you know, I believe medication is one of the most important things that saved my life. And I should not be drinking on that medication. You know, and the way I tell law firms now is like, listen, you've got a population coming back after COVID that had a problem before they were hit, COVID happened. It got worse, and we have the numbers since. And you're going to have a lot of people in here who are struggling or are trying, you know, taking medication or doing something where it's not advisable for them to drink. So what you have to do now, you get an opportunity to have a reset. I wrote an article on this for the uh, New York State Bar. You have an opportunity for a reset in how you hold all these things. And if you, all you have to do is look at it from the perspective of every, but are people going to feel just as comfortable whether or not they're drinking? Yeah, I know. And I used to always like, like I said, I was on like anti-anxiety meds when I was drinking and Ambien, because of course I couldn't sleep through the night. Like, go <laughs> Yeah. I was drinking and a bottle of wine with it. And in my mind, I was like, oh, everybody says don't drink on it. That's just like CYA for the doctor. That's right. <laughs> that was my That's right. Let me consume this depressant to chase down my antidepressant. Exactly. <laughs> and let me drink this huge bottle of wine and then uh, take an Ambien. Like that's so dangerous. And yet I would do it. And like, no wonder I couldn't function in the morning. <laughs> like that's awesome. Yeah. But then that non-functioning becomes your new normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when that was the revelation to me was what a new normal was when I didn't drink how I felt and, you know, my being clear headed, I hadn't not been drunk or hung over in like 12 years. Like there's not, you know, and that is when, you know, like I said, your story is your own. You don't have to share it with people, but one of your superpowers is that you get this perspective. I'll tell you, like we, we sometimes laugh about what people look like when they get sloppy at a wedding or something like that. You see it at a work event and you're just like, I do not ever want to drink again. Like yes. for me. Or like people coming in sort of like cringing and hungover and you're like, yikes. Right. I'm not judging. I was that girl. Well, so Tawny, can we talk about sober sex? Because like, I am not... I don't talk about sex a lot. I'm just like, always <laughs> a bit like la la la. So tell me about your work there. Yeah. So when, when I got sober, I, I felt like I had a pretty 
like we said, a, a decent grasp on not drinking alcohol. It's the other stuff that is hard. And to narrow it down, the thought of going on a date or having sex scared the hell out of me. Early sobriety, I realized how, how much of my sexuality was linked to alcohol and how, how you know, I'm, my past relationships started in bars. They were either fellow bartenders or they were regulars. And alcohol was usually one of the few things that we had in common. So I, I could not understand how I was going to meet people. Like, what is a date going to look like if I don't drink? And if I don't drink, how am I going to feel confident in bed? So that's how it all started was, you know, again, me being a millennial who takes these questions to the internet. And I just started posting about them because, and even still, there's not a ton of resources about sober sex and dating. And, you know, this was 2016. There was even less resources back then. So I just started posting about it on Instagram as saying, this is something I'm struggling with any tips, blah, blah, blah. And all, I just got tons of messages from people like I'm struggling with this too. I don't know. Do I put sober on my dating profile? How do I, how do I, I want to try something new in the bedroom, but I don't want to take a shot first. Like all of the, you know, these questions were coming from fellow sober people, but also people that still drink that don't want to lean on alcohol in the bedroom. And that blew my mind. I really didn't think that that I didn't think that that was like even a (laughs) a demographic. So that just kind of became, you know, in journalism, we say like your beat is what you write about, what you talk about. And so like Ruby, our friend, Ruby Warrington, you know, who coined the term sober curious, uh, we did an event in Brooklyn a couple of years ago, and she introduced me as the sober sexpert. And it just kind of stuck and uh, people still call me that. And um, so I, that's a lot of the writing that I do is about the intersection of uh, sobriety and sexuality. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, (laughs) people call me the sober sex bird. I am not, I'm not an expert by any means, but I am, I have, I speak from lived experience and tons of journalistic deep dives and research and I've interviewed tons of, you know, sexologists and sex therapists and mental health professionals about this intersection because it fascinates me. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, when I talk to women, women who are single, like you said, that's a big thing that sometimes holds them back, like a limiting belief about what life will be like when they stop drinking or if they do like it, oh, is it going to be a liability? You know, it's hard to find. Yeah person anyway. And so I feel like sharing more about that. And, you know, I've talked to people on the show who are like, oh my God, your caliber of people who you're going to meet and interact with and date is going to be so much better because. Oh, so much better. Right. So much better. And, you know, it's not just single people. It's, you know, it people in relationships when, when you stop drinking alcohol or when you cut back, it, it impacts everyone around you. And, you know, if splitting a bottle of wine with your partner is part of something that you do to get intimate together, there's going to be a shift there and your partner may or may not be along for that ride. And that is a, it's an uncomfortable question that I get pretty often is like, I want to drink less. I don't know how to tell my partner because drinking is such a big part of our relationship, you know, and 
my heart goes out to people that are in that situation, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't experience that, but it, it is very difficult and it's, it's difficult for women in general to, to identify and then advocate for their own pleasure. Yeah. We yeah. were not, we were not taught that, you know, if we were lucky enough to get sex ed, it was how to not get pregnant. We didn't learn about the clitoris. You know, I had to learn about the clitoris on my own. And so it's just, it really is just, I think we're talking about normalizing sobriety. I think it's a lot of normalizing sexuality, especially for women and just reminding women and everyone, it's okay to advocate for what you want. And for me, reevaluating my relationship. And say no to what you don't. And exactly saying no to what you don't want. And a big part of my reevaluating my relationship with alcohol was reevaluate, still is reevaluating my relationship with sex. And, you know, I'm, again, I am not an expert. I'm, I'm six plus years sober and I'm still on this journey. I am still very much on this journey myself. Yeah. And you know what I think is interesting? I mean, it's not just single people as well. I mean, when I stopped drinking, I'd been married to my husband for 14 years. We'd been together for like 17. I mean, we met in our first job out of college and you know, I also, I mean, I drank 365 nights a year, so I'm sure we occasionally had sober sex on like Saturday afternoons, but it's <laughs> not the usual or yeah, like yeah. in the morning. So, you know, once I quit drinking and, you know, my husband and I started talking about what was the same and what was different and all, cause he still drinks it, you know, we had a conversation and he was like, yeah, the one thing is like, you never rip off my shirt anymore. And I was like, honey, I don't remember that. Like I was <laughs> in and out of consciousness when we were having sex. I mean, I just was, you know, and he was like, yeah, sometimes I wasn't that comfortable with that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, clearly it was consensual, but yeah, like, rip off his shirt that'd be like, coming in, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, you know, sober sex, it, it takes some getting used to it. On the other hand, I'm not passed out on the couch. On the other hand, it's way easier to have an orgasm than when you're completely numb. So people do talk about how sober sex is actually really good. It's, you know, it's something that you have to get used to, but, but it's, it's actually way better than like passed out sex. Well, and that's, that's such a good point because it's like, we're, we were talking about like mentally, you know, how to prepare to have sex mentally without alcohol, but physically like liquid courage is actually bullshit. It is, it's like, it's, it's a facade. It's a, it's complete bullshit. Like alcohol, like Lisa said, is a depressant. So overuse can lead to erectile dysfunction and it can lead to vaginal dryness and it can, well, you know, we're, we're self-medicating depression and anxiety to numb our brains, but it's numbing our, our senses too. So we're not feeling pleasure to our full capacity when we're having drunk or even buzzed sex. Yeah. Well, people go to your website, Tani, will they be able to find all the articles that you've written or what's the best place? Cause you're right. There aren't a lot of resources out there where people talk openly about this. Yeah. The, my website's tanilara.com and I'm, you know, all over Instagram and TikTok where I do like sober sex and dating Q and A's people DM questions and I answer them and um, I think like social media is probably the most up to date if you want like hot tips, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of articles on my website all there. That's awesome. And so Lisa, the best place to find you is at lisasmithadvisory.com. Yeah, with an O. That's like that's my um my website, but and then I'm on uh social at Girl Walks Out. Yeah, and if anyone hasn't read the book Girl Walks Out of a Bar, I loved it. Like it's really good. Thank you. Great read. It's a page turner. Like I was totally engrossed in it. So you need to read it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I know you guys on Recovery Rocks always do like the music minute, right? And so what would you guys recommend or what, what's speaking to you right now in music or what really helped you in the early days of sobriety as you were kind of moving through it? Uh, I would say music was was and is such a big part of my life and being around the heavy metal scene definitely contributed to my substance abuse being like being drunk at concerts was just like my favorite thing in the world so finding a way to enjoy concerts again without alcohol was difficult it it was it was difficult for me but now I obviously prefer it because I can remember (laughs) I remember the concerts I remember the shows Um, but I will say my my anthem, my sobriety anthem is Doesn't Remind Me by Audio Slave. And it's Chris Cornell, RIP, who he's talking about, you know, I like this, I like this, I like this, because it doesn't remind me of anything. And that is what I needed to get through early sobriety was finding new hobbies, finding new friends, finding new drinks and thing, just finding new things to do and new humans. Yeah. Like I needed, I needed new things that didn't remind me of anything because I was creating this new version of myself without alcohol. So, you know, I had heard that song came out like 10 years before, but it, it, it found new meaning for me in sobriety. Yeah. And what about you, Lisa? So I think for me, like there's on both points that Connie said, um, it took me a long time to want to go to live music. But now I totally love it. In fact, Tawny and I went to see the Rolling Stones on their last, the, probably one of their last shows before Charlie Watts died in 2019. We saw the show in 2019 before I left New York. And like, that was just amazing to have that, you know, to be able to do that. And, but for Anthem sort of stuff, like I listened to, like I would find a lot to relate to. And I would listen to music that I learned, you know, when I, um, when I was reading, like I was reading early, although it came out, I'd been sober for a year or two, I think when it came out with Scar Tissue, Anthony Kiedis's um, memoir. And I, I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers and reading that whole thing made me love them more. And hearing like when he writes about the song, Give It Away, being about, you know, giving it away and surprise some woman in a meeting gave him her coat. And, you know, the idea of you got to give it away to keep it. I'm like, oh, I love that song now. I love it more. So I really identified that. But there were just random songs that I would hear. I could pick it up. Like you hear it in the Counting Crows songs, like Along December, about rehab. Oh, yeah. Monkey is about addiction. Yeah, I know when I was sort of quitting drinking the second time, I heard an NPR interview with Jason Isbell. And, you know, his, his album at the time was all about 
you know, his sobriety journey and like the idea of, you know, will they like the man I am now? And just, I mean, it was so touching and amazing. And since then I've seen Jason Isbell in concert like three times, but, you know, I also feel like any song or story that you hear in that like really tender, emotional, like time when you feel Mm -hmm. like discovering everything and everything's hitting you so deeply I mean, it's kind of amazing the way like music will bring you to tears in a way when you're first getting sober that, you know, it never will again. Yes. Yes. So that music, that particular music that I was listening to at that time, like 18 years later, totally resonates with me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It has been such an honor to have you guys on the show. I loved, you know, meeting you sort of in real life in Zoom because I've been following you guys from your podcast and on social media and your book, Lisa, for a very long time. Oh, thank you. And we should note that Casey, it will be our guest on an upcoming Recovery Rocks yes. episode as well. Yeah, no, we love everything you're doing and what an honor to be with you on the show. So grateful. Oh, I'll get to see you, Lisa, in person in like a week. So that will be- Oh yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. And we'll Tawny, have to hopefully sometime too. Someday, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah. All right, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.